from San Diego, California, it's the Frug Life Podcast with your host, Ricky Hershey. Welcome to the Frug Life. I wanted to share a quick status update with you where I am right now. I am back in San Diego. My house, though, is in the middle of a remodel, so I don't have a kitchen. So life is pretty tough in that regard. But my wife and I are toughing it out. We go to my parents a lot for dinner, and then we do have lunch in our fridge. Lots of easy stuff. There's a store here called the 99 Cent Only Store. It's kind of like a Dollar Tree, but way better. You know, there's even fresh produce there. They always have good deals, and recently they've had four Lunchables for a dollar, which is a great deal. And so we've kind of been eating a lot of Lunchables. Anyway, since I've been gone so long, my question bank is a little bit of a mess, so hopefully we will take care of that now. If you do have any questions, please keep sending them to me. It works best if you send the question as a voice message to the podcast. One, because you get to have your voice on the podcast. And two, there is a record of it there for me. Anyways, let's get to today's topic. Today we have a question from a user on Instagram. They say, what's a possible way to increase property value in an area? And then they go on and explain that their upcoming game plan is to get a cheap house in a cheap area, then renovate it while hoping to increase the area property value simultaneously. So let's start talking about real estate and at a high level what makes a place desirable to live there are aspects like climate for instance that we can't really change there are other things like the kitchen in the home the paint in the home basically things in the home that can be remodeled which as the property owner you can certainly change and perhaps in between these things they there are other things that have varying levels of difficulty For example, the economy in an area is something to consider. People like to have jobs, and if there are jobs in the area, the houses in the area will be worth more. But changing the economy is not something that is particularly easy. It's probably pretty hard. Perhaps easier than changing the weather, but really it's probably difficult for one person to have an impact. Other factors are like school districts in the area which is a big factor for parents. And then, of course, on this list of things that have an impact is the other homes and the state of the properties in the area. And perhaps you can have some impact here. Perhaps working with other investors, you could buy whole blocks of distressed city and turn the block around and cause people to want to live there again. But I think this is tricky for a few reasons. One, it's a lot of upfront investment. That's a lot of properties that you would have to buy um, and then remodel and then change. It's kind of a field of dream situation. You'd have to build the field and only once it was complete would people start to come. And two, just remodeling the homes and fixing these properties won't necessarily solve the underlying issues. You know, this area was perhaps abandoned or distressed for some other reason. People didn't have work in the area, for example, so the economy perhaps pushed them out. So you may just be building nice homes that no one's going to want to live in. I've read some other interesting posts on this subject. One I found on Reddit, which is really kind of ridiculous. 
It starts out with a premise similar to ours that you could buy a whole block of Detroit pretty uh, cheap, but it takes a very strange twist in that they want to build a castle instead. I'll leave a link in the show notes if you want to read that. It's kind of bizarre. Uh, But really, as a first-time buyer, I would probably stay away from a project of this scale. Buying all of this, uh, a whole block, and transforming a whole neighborhood really is quite an undertaking. And I would focus on just buying a home in a nicer area and focusing on the renovation aspect, like you mentioned as well. There's actually a great video I watched on this recently by Graham Stephan, a YouTuber I like. He talks about the most profitable renovations you can do to a home. I would watch that video. But I also see the allure in this type of plan, turning a $10,000 home into a $100,000 home seems more promising than getting a $30,000 home and turning it into a $40,000 home. But I'm not a real estate expert by any means. In fact, this is probably an area I need to improve on the most. And so I hopefully will continue to report on stories like this and learn more about real estate, and I hope to buy my own property at some point during the course of this show. Now, I've been a bit of a naysayer this episode, I do have a quick story to share, and now I'm not actually 100% sure this story is true, but I think I heard it in college. And that is the creator of FedEx, when he was a college student, once submitted the idea for FedEx in a class to his professor. And he got a terrible grade on the assignment, and the professor told him that this is a service no one would ever pay for, and it just wouldn't work. And of course, that professor was dead wrong. FedEx went on to become a huge company, and it's a service millions and millions of people use. The point is, if people think you're wrong, it doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong. And in fact, if everybody thinks your idea is a great idea, somebody's probably already done it. If it's that obvious, then it would already be done, and it would already be over. So perhaps you can see something others cannot. You can take a risk and it may pay off big for you. So just some food for thought. I'm not a real estate expert and in no way am I actually giving you know real estate or financial advice, but just some things to consider. Okay, and now on to another segment, Vote Questions Part 2. How does one deal frugally with the unavoidable expenses, legal expenses, emergency room visits, etc.? How does someone of modest wealth defend against predatory behavior from the wealthy? Are there some things that require a certain amount of currency? And so I think the the short answer to this is yes. Sometimes you just have to have money. And basically, I think in a lot of ways, this is what an emergency fund deals with, right? That you are able to pay for an emergency room visit should you need to. Also, what this is kind of getting at is the need for insurance. If you are able to have health insurance or something like that, that could cut down your emergency room visits. If you own your own business, uh, you could perhaps have some sort of liability insurance as well that would help with legal fees. So in short, life always has risk. There are all sorts of types of risks. There are 
you know, critical risks and less critical risks. There are risks that can be avoided and risks that can be mitigated and some risks that should just be borne. So for instance, if you have a home, you probably want to have some sort of homeowner's insurance on it, depending on how much of your capital is tied up in this home. For instance, if you had a home that was worth 50 or $500,000 and this was a significant part of your net worth, you probably would want to have homeowner's insurance because losing this home could be devastating. Alternatively, if you have lots of money, a lot of it's possible that you may just want to self-insure. Basically, insurance in general is a losing game, right? The insurance companies make money and they do that by pricing their premiums so that on average you lose out by buying insurance. Now, of course, buying insurance isn't purely financial, right? There's a safety aspect to it. The timing of the money is important in the sense that when you buy insurance, the insurance money comes when you most need it, which makes those particular cash flows very important. So insurance may be a bad investment in the traditional sense of the word, it may be very beneficial to you financially and to your peace of mind under the right circumstances. But insurance is a whole episode in and of itself. We may get to that another day. The next part of the question, how does someone of modest wealth defend against predatory behavior from the wealthy? Um, I think for the most part, you don't need to worry about that too much. I'm not an expert, certainly, on this, but I haven't heard of this in all too much detail. I mean, it does remind me of an episode of Louie, uh, where Louie, like, does he kill someone accidentally? He harms someone, uh, a rich celebrity somehow. And somehow the parents of this celebrity sue Louie, and Louie says, oh, but he doesn't have any money, how can he be sued? And his lawyer says uh, he can, and that's, I don't know, his life is over or whatever. The short answer is, though, I wouldn't worry about that. Now, there's one more question, or two more questions from the listener. What alternatives exist to internet slash cell phone slash phone contracts? And there are a few. Me personally, for my cell phone, I use a service called TrackPhone. It's super cheap. It's prepaid. I pay not very much money a month. It used to be about $7 a month, uh, $20 every three months for my service, which is insanely cheap. Uh, there's other options now, I think it's more like $30 every uh, two or three months or something like that. But somewhere somewhere in that price range, about $10 a month or so for track phone. As long as you don't use your phone too much, it's great. And then I also use Google Voice to make most of my phone calls. So I don't even use the minutes on my phone all that much. There's also a service called Freedom Pop that offers you a totally free phone. I've tried it before, um, and what I mean totally free, you pay for the SIM card, I think it was like one cent or a dollar, actually one cent, I think, one cent for the SIM card, and then uh, you have to, uh, there's a trial period, and after the trial period, you have to deposit some money on your account in order to maintain your service, but the, the service is no monthly fee, so you could use that to get a limited amount of data for free, which could be good as well. So those are two options for phones that you could look into. Other than that, my setup is pretty traditional. I just have a traditional internet provider. If you were going to live somewhere remote, you might need to buy some sort of hotspot. 
uh, for internet or get satellite internet or something like that. Right now, remote internet still isn't fantastic, but in the future, I think things may change. The last question is, how can frugality allow us to live more spiritual lives, less focused on material gain? I think this is a great question. Uh, it's a difficult question, and it's a little atypical from what we normally get here at the podcast. But I think just being grateful for what you have is a great place to start. If you look at all the many blessings you have in your lives, uh, chances are you live in America, at least statistically based on my listenership presently, uh, in which case you are a very blessed individual, that we live in a great time. You know, you could live in medieval times or whatever, and life may be shorter, and you may be a serf, and it could suck. And I think taking a step back as we disengage with the materialism that we see in the world, as we don't try to keep up with the Joneses, we may find a happiness within ourselves that we don't need to compete with others, especially in contests of who has more things, but we can look to the things that really matter in life and find benefit and happiness in those. So just my two cents. I'm not really that much of a frugality philosopher or anything like that. All right, well, thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay frugal.